Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, May 9th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. Now, in addition to poetsandmuses.com, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. To get the latest news about Poets and Muses alums and their events, you can also sign up to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Since the end of 2018, we have highlighted over 115 poets from 12 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do so with your support. And you can do that by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via your preferred credit cards or PayPal. With us today is Gray J. Wall, with whom I will be discussing his poem, A Man Sits on a Train and my poem, Gossend. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of May 10th. From Monday, May 10th to Thursday, May 13th, the IAIA MFA program will be hosting their craft lectures and readings series. You can find out more information at IAIA underscore MFA underscore CW. Again, that is at IAIA underscore MFA underscore CW on Instagram. Also on Monday, May 10th from 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Replay Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting its The Loop Writing Workshop with Carol Scott. You can find out more information at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. Again, that's at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. On Tuesday, May 11th from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Urban World NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic with those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their creatively undistanced open mic. You can find out more information on Major Muse on Instagram. Again, that's at Major Muse on Instagram. From 7 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Jen Givhan will be hosting Corridas, Cumbrias y Chicana Poetics, featuring, among other panelists, our past poet guest, Felicia Zamora. You can find out more information at Felicia Zamora Poet on Instagram or poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. Again, that's either at Felicia Zamora Poet on Instagram or at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Replay Dirty open mic 
via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Poetry Center San Jose and Works San Jose Art and Performance Center will be hosting their well-read open mic featuring Anthony Bellin, Sivan Kelly Boat, Julie Varnett, Emron Keys, and Kimmy J. Martinez. You can find out more information at pcsj.org. Again, that's at pcsj.org. From Wednesday, May 12th to Friday, May 21st, City of Asylum will be hosting their 2021 Pittsburgh International Lit Fest. You can find out more information by going to cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. From 6 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory Writing Workshop by Janice. You can find out more information and register at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. Again, that's at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Do More Baltimore will be hosting their weekly World Tour Poetry Club. You can find out more information at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Again, that's at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Do is spelled D-E-W. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Hudson Valley Writers Center and Teton Lake Reservation Nature Preserve will be hosting an evening with January Gill O'Neill, Tina Kelly, and Patian Rogers. You can find out more information at writercenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at writercenter.org forward slash calendar. From 7.15 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Luya Poetry will be hosting their Luya Number 31, Multitudes. You can find out more information at Luya Poetry on Instagram. Again, that's at Luya Poetry on Instagram. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their weekly poetry workshop with Louisette Resto. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops.html. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops.html. On Thursday, May 13th from 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their weekly open mic. And you can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Syncabulary will be hosting her Painted Black, the Rolling Stones tribute open mic, this time featuring our past poet guest, Lee M.S. You can find out more information and register at eventbrite.com forward slash o forward slash finbell hyphen 320-614-08773. Again, that's at eventbrite.com forward slash o forward slash 
finbell-320614080 you can also find the information at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. From Friday, May 14th to June 27th, the International Festival of Arts and Ideas will be hosting their festival 2021, Imagine. You can find out more information at artidea.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at artidea.org forward slash calendar. From 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting her Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information and register by emailing survivor.andrina.lian on Instagram. Again, that's at survivor.andrina.lian on Instagram. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. And Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 2 to 4 p.m. British time, the Leeds Library will be hosting their Celebrate International Dylan Thomas Day. You can find out more information at theleedslibrary.org.uk forward slash events. Again, that's at theleedslibrary.org.uk forward slash events. From 7 p.m., West African time, Graciano and Warren will be hosting his coronavirus open mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warren. That's at G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's at G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. From 1.45 to 2.45 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Kaveh Kanam Poets will be hosting their Writer's Work Table, Poets on Research and Fellowships with Joshua Bennett, Bettina Judd, and Christopher J. Greggs. You can find out more information at kavekanampoets.org forward slash event. Again, that's at kavekanampoets.org forward slash event. On Saturday, May 15th, from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Indian Standard Time, our past poet guest, Umesh Mohikar, will be hosting his weekly Let's Unmesh Life open mic. You can find out more information at Umesh Mohikar on Instagram. Again, that's at Umesh Mohikar on Instagram. That's U-N-M-E-S-H-M-O-H-I-T. K-A-R. Again, that's at U-N-M-E-S-H-M-O-H-I-T-K-A-R. From 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Poetry Passport will be hosting their Writer's Workshop with a theme of daughterhood. You can find out more information at the Poetry Passport on Instagram. Again, that's at the Poetry Passport on Instagram. From 2 to 3.15 p.m. Central Daylight Time, The Funk Magazine will be hosting their Watchfulness, a workshop with Alexi Ivy. You can find out more information and register at defunkmag.com. That's D-E-F-U-N-K-T-M-A-G.com. Again, that's D-E-F-U-N-K-T-M-A-G.com. From sunset to 9 p.m. 
Mountain Standard Time, the Sagrado Galleria will be hosting their fifth annual Mujeres del Desierto in person at the Nina Mason Pulliam Rio Salado Autobahn Center in Phoenix, Arizona, where our past poet guest Lydia Martinez will be a vendor. You can find out more information at the Sagrado on Instagram or at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. Again, that's either at the Sagrado on Instagram or at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. Sagrado is spelled S-A-G-R-A-D-O. On Sunday, May 16th, from 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Keep the Mic On will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information at keepthemicon.com. Again, that's at keepthemicon.com. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Gray J. Wall. Hi, Gray. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, it's great to be here. Go ahead. I'm really glad for that. You brought with you your poem, A Man Sits on a Train. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I describe myself as, as a poet, musician, and lemographer. Those are my sort of three key interests. For, for anyone who's not sure what a lemographer is, it's just a photographer who uses very, very cheap cameras. Oh, okay. So I use sort of cheap plastic cameras that have cost less than 20 pounds. I don't know what that is in, in, in dollars, probably about the same. So, so it's about trying to create art with uncostly materials, which I guess that same sort of thread runs into to why I love poetry mm. uh, um, and why I love making music on cheap guitars. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of me. I tour quite a lot, mostly as a musician, but also as a poet as well, especially around sort of continental Europe. Obviously, this last year, I haven't been doing that quite so much, but, but most years I get out to, to Germany and France and Spain and get a gig all over the place, as well as festivals and, and uh, venues here in the UK. Great. And then I work in the arts. So when, so when I'm not doing my own art, I'm supporting others to create art or, or creating events where other artists can display or perform their work. That, that's my sort of my job or the thing that, that probably brings in the, the greatest income, which is not, which is not very great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's me in a nutshell. So it must have been really difficult for you last year since a lot of actual physical events got cancelled. Really difficult. So back in uh, in sort of March last year, the first few weeks, I think I, I think like a lot of people, I just sort of we, we just sort of sat there and thought, what this is what how's this going to work? We're going to go absolutely mad. Mm. Um, having said that, I think it's sort of turned out to be a really productive year in in a very strange. Why? Because like many others, I'm sure, if you can't follow a particular route, then you find other ways of making things work. Um, And I was very fortunate in being getting invited to perform or or contribute work to to a lot of um, sort of virtual and and online gigs and and performances throughout the year, which was great. great. A a few years ago, my wife and and her dad built a little summer house at the bottom of our garden. And so this became my, my studio, my mm. recording studio and my writing studio. So, so I, I disappeared down the bottom of the garden. <laughs> <laughs> I made a whole uh, album of music and poetry, which I released through Bandcamp called Mouse Club Virus Blues, which, mm. which was sort of poems and songs from, from lockdown, I suppose. Mm. I'm sure we'll get on to this more, 
when, when we're talking about the poems, but it is obviously one of the positives of the internet that that's, um, that this virtual world nice. uh, has sort of really come to the fore in these times, hasn't it? So, mm-hmm. so you know, I, I was in, I was so for example, I, I was invited to do a to do a performance for a Paris poetry club, mm-hmm. um, which doing it virtually obviously is, is, is incredibly easy to do, and there's, there's something very sweet about that in knowing that you're that you're performing to to an audience in paris and and, and further afield as well mm. um just just whilst sitting in your shed at home it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an odd way of existing but, but somehow that made it work i think yeah yeah i've also connected with a lot of poets around the world when you said the paris performance was it for spoken word paris uh paris lit up Oh, oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, which, 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 I, th- which I think is like a, a regular night that's held in a bar there in, in, in Paris, in, you know, in, in usual times. Yes, um, yes. Uh, but and obviously they, they just went virtual. Yeah, they, they yeah. went back during the summer, they went to physical events, but now they're virtual again and they're every week on Thursdays. Sure. In regards to your poetry practice, when did you start writing poetry? Really, really young. So, so my, my first influence was actually my mum. Uh, mm-hmm. My mum was uh, was a published poet herself. Okay. Um, the side of her poetry that we saw as children was was that she would write poems to, to our local newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, submit to our local newspaper. Usually, poems that were kind of a little bit humorous or a little bit ironic. Mm talking about uh, subjects which were current to our local town. So if she saw people writing letters into the, the letters page of the local paper, perhaps having a go at local teenagers for hanging out in town and drinking cider, mm. she, she would write a poem supporting the kids and, uh, <laughs> um, and, and explain that if they had, they had more to do in town, <laughs> maybe they wouldn't drink so that that was kind of her how she used her poetry and, and that was an incredibly powerful thing as a kid to to see you know i had a great deal of admiration for my mum mm. doing that yeah. uh, and, and so, that, so that was my sort of my, my first inspiration really and great. so I, yeah and then, and then just i started started carrying around a, a notebook and, and jotting my own little poems that, none of which were, were very good I, I don't think i wrote a good poem until i was a teenager Really, but I had great English teachers as well. I was really lucky, so I was sort of turned on to, to uh, Shakespeare and Chaucer and Kipling and Hughes mm. and, and Yeats. All these people from, from a very early age. Mm. Partly because I was really, really bad at pretty much every other subject. Yet the only <laughs> thing I, I was really any good at was was English. So, so the fact that I was being patted on the on, on the back by any teacher in mm. our school was was a, was a real bonus. Mm. So I. I jumped at the opportunity and, um, and, and threw myself in head first. Mm-mm-mm. Do you happen to remember the first poem you wrote? It was a <laughs> I couldn't recite it, but it was at a, a, a prime at a primary school Christmas show. Mm. I stood up and recited a poem I'd written, mm. which included a number of animal noises. I remember this. <laughs> But I couldn't. I couldn't tell you which animal mm. noises or, or or really what the point of it was. But that's that's all I can really remember of mm. it. I, I, other than than I, I wore a bowler hat while I was doing it. 
um, <laughs> which, we, which for your audience outside probably seems like the most English thing in the, in the world. <laughs> this, this kid wears a bowler hat. <laughs> to, um, to read his poems but that, yeah that's what I did I can remember the first poem that I felt kind of proud of mm. um, which, which was as a, as a teenager probably about 12 or 13 and I had a paper out and I had to deliver papers to, uh, to uh, the house of, of an elderly lady mm. that a lot of local kids were a little bit scared of um, mm. because she, she lived in isolation she didn't, I don't think she used electricity she, oh. I think her house was uh, lit by uh, candlelight, okay. and, and she had a real fire and stuff. So, so because of that, you get that 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 thing that happens. People sort of so you know, is she a witch or? <laughs> and so kids were genuinely quite frightened of this this old lady. Mm. Because I delivered her paper, I I got to sort of meet her and have conversations with her, mm. and she was such a sweet, lovely person. Mm. And so I wrote a poem about about this, about the fact that she was completely misconstrued and. and misunderstood mm. and, and actually had what a lovely person she was i remember my my mum said that that's that's poem. But obviously when you're that age that's that's great but you know when uh, when, when a parent uh, approves of what, what mm. you do. and uh, and i felt kind of chuffed that, I, mm. that i'd written this poem so that mm. was the first one i think i was kind of proud of mm, that's wonderful it's it's so nice of you to have uh, taken up on this local social cause and and spoken of on behalf of this uh, nice lady who just happens to enjoy real fires. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think now is a good time for you to read your poem for us, and then we can talk about it. Sure. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, the poem you've chosen is A Man Sits on a Train, and it goes like this. A Man Sits on a Train waiting or at least hoping for an email. He stares at the laptop that sits atop his lap with unwavering concentration. As the train pulls out of the city, the morning sky is shot with scarlet shards on aquamarine. The countryside flies by in beauteous early summer shades, pigeons and foxes and sleepy thatched hamlets. After a while, the train slows, and through the picket fences beyond Platform A, the man's childhood friends can be seen, jumping from swings and onto the roundabout, joyous in holiday freedom, if only he could avert his eyes, and then gone. On through Milltown are tall Gothic bridges, steeples and black glass tower blocks, to red brick leafy suburbs, corner pubs and smoking chimneys, faded metal hoardings and avenues prim. Further down the line, the train slows again, and on the green wood bench across the tracks sits the woman loved and lost, alone and smiling, sweet as honey, eyes closed in warm meditation, just a call away, but the man remains silent, transfixed and determined. The train meanders through mountains of grandeur, past star-sparkle rivers and fairy-tale forests, shoreline, glen and tunnels of steam, that all remain unseen. When the train slows again, the man's mother looks out through the waiting room window, a pale and all-loving dewy-eyed angel who waves in sweet resignation at her son who sits on the train. Evening bows tonight as the train rumbles on, streetlight reflected on the shower-fresh streets, 
The moon makes silhouette of distant woods and cooling towers till dark clouds extinguish its gaze. Eventually, the train grinds towards its halt, and as it does, suddenly, there in the inbox, bing! Double-clicked, his eyes eagerly scan the message, which simply reads, you have reached your destination. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, there you go. <laughs> I feel like in addition to making your point, you've also taken us on a trip of England. Right. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? When you go back and look at your own poems, after, well, you kind of find that you've done things that you didn't realize you'd done as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I, but I, I guess it, it's in, in, that, in what you're saying there about, about it. I think also what, what sort of struck me going back and looking at it is that as well as it being a, a poem about sort of mi missing out on, on life, it also kind of refers to something of a fairy tale past. Mm. And I've kind of used language that reflects that. So when, so when I used lines like on through Milltown or tall Gothic bridges, mm. that's, that's very like, like I'm speaking from the past, like I'm looking at this, this beautiful old past. But the truth is, I'm not sure there ever was a fairy tale past. I think that's something that we kind of, we like to, a lot of people sort of come up with that, that view, oh, if only things were like they used to be, which I think is, is, a, is, a, is not a particularly healthy way of thinking. No. But, but, but I, having said that, there's obviously, there's an element of that that was in my head as I was writing the poem. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because I don't know if you're the same, but I, I wrote, Write quite organically, and then and then, and then you go back and realise things that you meant that were, were quite subconscious, or things that you were you were doing that were quite subconscious. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, in having these discussions, and uh, that makes me go back to my poems. Uh, sometimes, especially during the discussions, I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't realise that. <laughs> so it, yeah. it's an interesting discovery of. of you know, these conversations for me as well as I think for the per person, poets that I interview. Because you don't necessarily look at your poem with as much, I don't know, in, in this sort of eyes and telling the story behind it um, as much. So that gives you the opportunity to look at it from a different perspective. So definitely. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, I think the other thing that, that you, you find, you know, there's that quote, isn't there, that's... Um, that all, all art is in some way autobiographical. Or, mm. um, obviously, this poem is written about, so I, I'm speaking of this man. Mm. But actually, that man, part of who that man is, is a, is a, is a person that, that, that is the, the person that I'm afraid of becoming. Mm. Mm. So, so it's definitely about me as mm. much as it's, it's about this, this abstract character. Mm. I, I mean, he's also based on, on sad stories of... My own dad is in there, and and, and other people's, uh, a couple of other people's dads are in there. It's, it's people that I know who, who've concentrated their life on, you know, what they wholeheartedly think is the right thing to do, which is which is quite often do, doing a, a job or, or working in business which they which they might, might not really enjoy very much, mm. and, and and just concentrate so much on that that, that, that they're they're missing out so much on on the life that's going on around them. 
So, you know, in simple terms, that's what it's about. But if, on different levels, it, it, it's, a, it's about me. Uh, it's about my dad. It's, it's about all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the image of someone looking at a laptop or, you know, any kind of handheld devices uh, these days on the train is very relatable to any modern commuter. At the same time, I think it is just the latest iteration of us deciding to concentrate our lives on something that maybe later on, when we look back on our life, was not as important as we thought it was at the time. Yeah. No, absolutely. I always find it sort of slightly amusing, but also slightly sad. When you go to see a, a live performance and you see these people who, who are filming the whole thing and they're, they're watching the live performance mm-hmm. through their mobile phone that they're filming it on. And, and you sort of think, that's such a weird thing. It's mm-hmm. like, just, I put down the mobile phone. Mm-hmm. And there's this amazing thing going on in front of you and you're watching it on a, t- on a tiny screen <laughs> in front of your head. It's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. But then, you know, we, we were chatting earlier about, you know, obviously this last nine months has brought that, that whole sort of living in the virtual world to, to the, the fore and, and focused very much on, on both the, the, the positive sides of, of what can be offered there and, and some of the, the real negatives as well. Because mm-hmm. we've all been forced to do more living online, yeah. haven't we? You know, these sort of uh, having meetings and, and parties on Zoom from me doing uh, performing on online mm-hmm. uh, or reciting online rather than in front of a, a, a real audience. It, it's um, there's positives to it, but but uh, but a lot of negatives as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I find that my attention span has definitely decreased. That I miss a lot of things uh, when I'm online. Um, I don't know why, but I keep trying to multitask and not doing any one thing particularly well because when I'm multitasking. Um, sure. So that, for me, is definitely something I've observed uh, directly. Yeah. You know, you can spend the afternoon on, on uh, you know, checking out your, your Facebook and your Twitter and your Instagram, and, and in some ways you sort of feel like you've done something. <laughs> but, but then you look back at it, and it... It's a bit like having a bag of popcorn for lunch. You, yeah. you know you've eaten something, but, but that wasn't really a meal, was it? <laughs> and, and that's that's kind of how I, how I, how I see it. It, it, it. It's easy to, to get lost in that world and feel like that is in some, some ways living, but it, it, it's not. It's really not. Mm-mm-mm. And ironically, as you said before, over this past nine ongoing months, we've been forced to do a lot more of that. And I think the reason it caught on so well is that it allows us to participate in those sort of water cooler discussions without necessarily being physically there. And that physical presence sometimes can be intimidating socially speaking because I remember people who have social anxiety issues telling me that they're having a much easier time participating in readings because they don't feel as overwhelmed by the experience that's a really interesting point isn't it I think and I think you're absolutely right because I've been furloughed from from my job as an arts worker Mm. one of the things I set up very early on in, in lockdown was a was a Facebook 
group, which is like an online uh, venue and gallery mm. um, called Place in Arts Cafe, which was just a space where people could come and play songs or recite poems or post up poems or paintings, photographs, anything and everything. Mm. It was just a, a, a meeting, a little meeting point where you could do that. And you're absolutely right that there, there are people, I've found that there are people and quite often people who are often it seems apparent are struggling with the situation in some way, mm. but are feeling more comfortable to share their work there than I think they ever would have been in, in a real gallery or venue or, 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 or club space or, or, or whatever. So in, the, in, that, in that, that way, yeah, it, it's been re- that's been really positive. I've, you know, I've, we've had people that have come forward that, that haven't painted a, 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 or done a drawing since they were at school but have suddenly in this in this strange period found mm. a real sense of, of well-being mm. being able to, to revisit that and be, and to be able to share it and get those positive feelings back that those you know people saying hey that's great you know you, you should have picked this, the pencils up ages ago you're really good mm. getting mm. that fantastic feedback and, and getting that sense of warmth which yeah as, as you say in a, in a sort of real unvirtual world perhaps they would never have stepped forward to do that mm-hmm. um, yeah it's interesting yeah yeah I think from uh, my personal experience I, I understand how the feeling that your personal space is invaded whether that's intentional or not can almost unconsciously trigger your nervous system uh, and and that could be very overwhelming for people who are very sensitive to that. And in a crowd, it's you know something like the the underground or uh, the subway or or a gallery opening, for instance, or an open mic uh, reading for it. They're all places where people kind of crowd together, and you don't necessarily have the personal space that sometimes you feel like you need. You know, like especially for people who value large personal spaces. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think they can be really intimidating spaces, but, can't they? Yeah. To be honest, even as, a, as a, someone who's been performing for decades, I, I'll still walk into particular environments and find them quite intimidating and, and feel uh, pangs of anxiety mm. and everything else. So, so for those who are less used to those environments. I can imagine that that, that could be more intense. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about previously about how, you know, both your own fears about becoming this person that you're describing and also your experiences with your father and maybe other family members uh, yeah. went into this poem. So I was wondering if there were there was a particular incident or anything that you can think of that trigger the coalescence of this uh, these memories and these feelings you have um, into this particular poem. Okay, um, I'm going to go somewhere a little bit dark now. Okay. <laughs> so basically to explain, although as I say, I don't think I was consciously aware when I was writing the poem, that, that that was what I was doing. The story with my dad was that was that so he was a, a solicitor, and um, mm. he when he started his job, I think he, I think he enjoyed it, and he loved it. Mm. But I think he ended up being one of those people that really didn't enjoy his job very much for quite a long period of his life. But his his sort of sense of what he was doing was that, that he he was 
you know, he was taking care of the family. He was making sure we were all okay. Mm. We had a roof over our heads. And he perceived this time when he would be able to, to retire and, and had this great vision of what that period would be like, that, that, that he and my mum would be able to escape uh, away with the, uh, the camper van and, and, and all this, this stuff. Mm. The, the reality was that that's not how life worked out. Mm. Um, and uh, in, to, to, not, to, to keep it sort of short and simple, um, you know, life took a really bad turn for, for him, and, and he 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 uh, he he was he was a man that felt unable to share um, what was going wrong, the fact that there were difficulties with the business and everything else, mm. um, and he ended up taking his own life. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, and that happened before he he was ever able to reach that stage of of in, of reaping the benefits and enjoying. Uh, getting some enjoyment from life from this this uh, this whole period of, of putting his um, head down and, and and just doing this job that he didn't like very much. So that you know, so when, when you've had that mm. uh, experience, that 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 probably that probably bleeds into quite a lot of your, the way I see the world and um, and 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 in, in one way or another into 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 my rights. So when I go back to, to, to a poem like a man sits on a train, as I say, although that, that wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I was writing it, when I go back and read it, it's it's actually kind of obvious that, uh, mm. that an experience like that obviously informs the, the world vision that I'm, that I'm trying to articulate there. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. Um... That, that. No, honestly, it, you know, I, I, it's, it's a long, long time ago, and um, and it, you know, it's, it's it's a very sad story, it, it, I, I, but I, I know that thousands and thousands of people uh, share a similar experience. I'm sure, I'm sure we all know um, people who, who've uh, who've unfortunately uh, gone before their time for for a whole variety of different reasons so it, you know it, it, that's a, it, that's a very shared ex- experience and um uh that's that's just that that's that's particularly my dad's story that's all right right yeah i mean from the poem it seems like a story where i mean i i would say i anticipated where maybe there was an early uh, passing but perhaps you know it was you know the, things like heart attack cancer th- things that you know yeah. <laughs> you know, we we okay, always plan. Okay. We plan, right? But you know, we yeah. we're not entirely in control of everything, <laughs> uh, yeah. and can't really plan perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's you know I you know one, one of my own things going going back it, and it, I probably do this too much, but but I, you know I, I sort of picked up very much on that on the on the the, the sort of Buddhist concept that there, there is only the moment mm. that, that you, you can't rewrite the past and you can't predict the future so there, there is only now that mm-hmm. now is the only is the only reality this very second mm-hmm. so 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 choose what you do with that second carefully you mm-hmm. know um i'm really i'm really pleased that, that we're choosing to, to uh, this this moment to, to have this conversation 
mm. sort of halfway around the world. That seems like a really good way of spending the moment. And, and probably, and again, you know, that goes back to the fact that it, it, it's so easy to sort of drift, isn't it? And, mm. and, and that's one of those social media can almost in, encourage you to sort of drift and, and think that you're it's existing rather than living. You, know, you can be existing rather than living. And, and if you know, if you learn anything from the, the, the those sort of sad stories of people who, who you know they didn't reach the, the point where they, they could really enjoy what um, the benefits of what they'd be doing, it's 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 just that seize seize the day, mm-hmm. uh, be in the moment, mm-hmm. live the day. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, there there is a legit argument to not just cease the day, but also to, you know, go after what you love. Uh, obviously, people can take that to extremes and be entirely too narcissistic to think of what damage they could be doing to other people. So it's, it's to me, I, I always want to find a balance point between seizing the day doing what you enjoy doing and also realizing that whatever action that may be it has an effect on other people and that it's not absolutely yeah it may not be the most positive effect or actually it could be detrimental effects so when did you write this poem that's a good good question (laughs) i'm really rubbish at um uh, at uh, remembering things like that, but I think it was that that was probably about five or six years ago. Oh, I wrote okay. that one. Okay. Um, yeah, going to the side a little. But I also I love I do genuinely love trains, train mm-hmm. journeys, um, and it's something that 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 as crops up crops up um, from time to time. In, in my, I've got other song, I've got other poems, mm. um, which uh, which are. Which are loosely based or, or directly based on train journeys. I, I do really like, and, and again, actually, it, it's, it sort of goes back, doesn't it, to that thing of, you know, I, I far prefer train journeys to aeroplanes, even if the aeroplane journey is faster. Mm. Not just, also, obviously, the, the benefits of, of it being a far, a far greener way of travelling than, mm-hmm. than, uh, than, than aeroplanes, but, but it is that thing. The great thing with a because you're not having to concentrate on driving and because you're not a thousand feet up in the air, air, you can actually look at the world. You can see the world that you're passing. And I love that about, about train journeys. I find them really relaxing. A few years ago, we were going over to see friends in, in, in Germany for the, um, the Christmas markets. Mm. We could have been there in, in two hours jumping on a plane from our local airport, which is 20 minutes away. Mm. But we, we took that decision that, hey, wouldn't it be good to take train there which mm-hmm. took the best part of a whole day mm. to do but the experience itself the journey itself and again that's that obviously that comes back to you know that thing it's about enjoying the journey as much as the the ending but right. um you know the journey to get there involved just taking taking a train first to paris where we got out and, and had a little bit of lunch and coffee in paris before moving on and then and then because of the time of year it was the, the closer we got to the Germany, the snowier it became. Mm. So, so we were moving from from um, from a rainy England into this uh, <laughs> into the thick snows of Germany very slowly. And, mm. and that's what a, you know what a beautiful journey that that is to, to look out the window and watch, and, mm. and you get a real sense when you arrive of of that 
distance and the passage of, of, of space and time that, that, you've, that you've traveled and, and, and everything that lies between you and your home because you've just, you've just watched it all. So, I, I, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm probably sort of pontificating far too much now on train journeys. But, no, um, no, no, no. I mean, this I, is... I do, I do really... This is why, oh, after you read the poem, I was commenting on how it seemed like you were taking us on a journey of England with all the different yeah. sceneries. Because it's really beautiful, and you see the, the different hamlets and variation in terms of chronological development. And there is a sense of nostalgia when you get on trains, because it is not the fastest way of getting somewhere. But as you said, you know, journey, the journey is part of the pleasure of traveling, because we want to yeah. see how it changes and sometimes the gradual change is less shocking uh, than the yeah. sudden change of flying into a completely different culture. And yeah. I, I love traveling by train as well. When I visit a country, I always take the train to get from one place to another. Part of the reason why I don't like the underground is that you can't really see anything. And it has a similar effect yeah, of <laughs> flying yeah. into things. And... You know, you could get some of that when you're on a plane as well, if you are lucky enough to have a window seat and you see a larger aspect. You see all these patterns sure. that human beings have formed yeah. on the planet. At the same time, train journeys give you that sense of, oh, I could get off unexpectedly at the stop if something strikes my fancy, especially when you're on holiday, you know. And, and that yeah. could really just add to the flavor, to the amazing quality of the trip, you know, making unexpected stops um, and not yeah. planning as much as, you know, we, we like our control. We want to plan, especially if, you know, if you're like a U.S. American who don't have that much time for holiday. Everything yeah. needs to be planned to the T, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't uh, you don't maximize your your time off. This is right. why right. I'm such a fan of UK, but also just continental European holiday policies, because there is a sense that people have learned to enjoy life, to appreciate life, and I have no idea if it's because. You've had two world wars taking place on the continent that's made people realize that, you know, we should kind of enjoy life a little bit. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know why that happened, but that did develop. And I think it's really wonderful. There's definitely a thing. I think we're quite good in Europe at, at just being able to enjoy just sitting outside a cafe with coffee watching the world and absorbing it and doing that with uh, with friends and realizing that that itself is a, it's a good thing to do. You're not wasting time doing, doing that. That's, that's, a, that's a cool thing. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, mean, I think maybe, maybe, maybe we're quite good at that. Although the weather's not always conducive to doing that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, I think as poets, I think we can appreciate a nice, nice rainy day or rainy season even. Absolutely. Yeah, there yeah. is some, a lot of beauty in that as well. Um, back to what I was asking in terms of, you know, if there was any particular incident that triggered this poem, I, I wonder if you remember anything that, you know, made you say, well, I need to, I need to sit down and write this out. 
Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to be honest. I don't, I don't. It, quite often, the way things work it, is, it, it'll be a number of little things mm. that kind of just come together in the moment in your head, mm. and suddenly you, you find you have this narrative that you, you, that needs to spill out of you. Mm. Um, can literally be the fact that that I might have been th- thinking about a, a particular person whilst simultaneously I was taking a train journey that day and I did see someone on their laptop and, and suddenly that, that, that connection just, you know, sort of ju- jumped in to, to, my, uh, to, to, the, to the head and suddenly you can't stop it. It just, just starts writing itself. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. I actually often write when I have commute, uh, partly because of the things that I see outside out of bus windows or light rail windows and yeah yeah they do remind you of things and trigger inspirations um, it comes back to what we were saying about about the both the, be- the beauty of the train journey as opposed to the, the car or the plane and also that those moments of, of just of just sitting people watching is, mm-hmm. is actually that that that's, that's where you those, those inspirations come isn't it yeah yeah definitely I do look out the window quite a lot, and that definitely helps. Uh, my mind seems to just, you know, searches for whatever it wants to be chatty about, and then, then I'm like, oh, here's a line for a poem. Let me write that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It can be the funniest little thing to set things off, really, isn't it? And then, uh, and as I say, I'm, I don't know if you're, you're the same, but, but you know, it, it usually it, it will be something small or silly but then but then the narrative just starts happening and you, you just can't stop it really once it starts yeah <laughs> yeah it just all comes out of you I don't know where that comes from. yeah it's like turning on a tap or something um yeah absolutely yeah absolutely from what we were talking it just suddenly reminded there is a beautiful um talking head song where, where he's he's looking looking out the window of an airplane, and I can't think what it's called now. It's a great example of, of um, just, he's not really writing about anything grand or emotive. It's just a really simple observation of looking down at this, uh, you know, obviously the, the, that, that view from, it, from an airplane and everything suddenly looking very small and, and these huge fields just becoming a, a little pattern underneath you. And, and it, it, it's a great song. I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Put it in the notes. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, because when you said talking head, immediately my mind went to we're on the train to nowhere, something like that. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Road to nowhere. On the road, road to, to nowhere. Yeah, okay. That's right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So David Burns, obviously, the, the same. He, he obviously likes his journeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the things that even though I, I really love the journey aspect, the thing that I picked up on in your poem is the family, you know, is this looking, it's almost like that moment that people talk about be, before someone passes when their uh, life flash in front of their eyes. And because there was so many scenes of family life and friends and such, it kind of triggered my memory of, of an observation I made while going out somewhere. And and so I actually wrote this poem that I sent you uh, based on that trigger. Yeah. 
um, and it's called Gossend. So I'm going to read that now, and then we can talk about it. The family that texts together stays together. Not to each other, mind you. That would be unseemly. And the modern family is never unseemly. The public PR team of social media demands it. Quality time with people you supposedly love but can't stand. Physical presence to cross the minimum effort, maximum exhibitionist points scored for the there job well done, self-congratulations. No requirement for shared bloodline to wrap the heart like a St. Valentine's ribbon around a cartoon-shaped vermilion box. Would the receiver react with as much thrill, as much anticipation to bite into the shit-colored, gunk-filled ambrosia if the cardboard concoction resembled a real human cardiovascular pump, crawling with purple and blue warm veins? You get the idea. We must first fool ourselves to tell the convincing lie, and modern social lubricant like handheld screens deserve veneration rather than denigration for scapegoating our disdain for the wrong choices we've made, the upsy-daisy fruits of our loins. So let's rejoice for the respite their distractions bring. God knows the divorce rate would further shoot up the stratosphere if we couldn't pour our souls into their illuminated fourth dimension. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. I'm interested because I, I can see both sides of it within it, but is social media and, and, and pinging out that, that text or that post when you need to, to kind of share, it, is it genuinely therapeutic, do you think? Do people find a, a, a calming sense? Do people feel better for sending out that tweet or that post? You know, seeing as how incredibly popular it is, it, I feel like it does meet a cer certain psychological need. I don't know if it's calming. I think it uh, meets the need that people may not be able to able to get somewhere else. Yeah. And sometimes the people we spend the most time with, i.e. our family and even sometimes our friends, uh, do not necessarily give us what we need, or maybe we never examined our lives ourselves enough to understand fully what we need. And yeah. I, I think, as you noted when you were talking about your poem, is that social media is just the latest iteration of this distraction from relationships, from being part of relationships that we might not be very happy with but we don't really we can't get out of for one week reason or another sure it's almost like social media taking the position of, of um being the shrink that's where we, we kind of like we're lying down on the on the couch talking rather than talking to a, to a shrink we're just, we're just pouring it out to um random <laughs> I'm not sure if we're getting, getting useful responses back from that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think social media is much more silent. Uh, I think it's much less analytical. Well, depending on uh, one's relationship with one's uh, therapist, of course, there, there are all kinds in that scenario as well. 
for me, a good therapist would be someone who would challenge the reasons or at least try to get to the reasons or help you get to the reasons of why you're doing a particular thing that in the end may not be healthy for your life. And so social media does not challenge that. If, if anything, it facilitates that, facilitates that to an addictive uh, extent. It keeps giving you that thing that you think you want, you're not getting from your relationships, and it goes so fast that you never have the time to figure out what it is that's missing in your real life that you need to get on a little handheld to tweet out to people, to talk at the ether rather than talk with the people that you spend a lot of time with. Yeah. It's a huge area, isn't it? It is, it is fascinating. And it's, it's something that we, we don't think I loved your description of the heart. Thank you. Because that whole thing, alongside that description, it's like, you know, you see that that, that, that little kind of emoji version <laughs> of what a heart is. Right. <laughs> it's funny little red thing. So I love that idea of the purple and blue worm veins. I think they're very real idea of the, of the, uh, of the heart. Anyway, uh, juxtaposing with that, was, I thought was lovely, really good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I feel like we do a lot of things that are, even how we judge people, it's not whether or not they're doing horrible things to us, it's how they dress those things. We prefer to interact with people who are smooth in the way that they lie to us. We rather deal with those people than people who tell us blunt, honest truths because it hurts. Yeah. So, in a way, we are very much complicit in, you know, these lies we tell ourselves, these actions that we do that are absolutely unhealthy for our long-term future or longer-term future. Yeah. So, so thinking about that area of, of you know, you were saying you, you, you quite like people to, 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 to respond with, a, with an honesty or a, or a criticism or a a sense of reality or whatever. I wonder how you felt about the, the whole the social media version or, 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 the, or the small world version, the bubble version that we have now of, of this of kind of personal cancel culture of, of unfriending people so easily. I think people now feel just as happy to unfriend someone as they do to friend someone. <laughs> and that's come about through this sort of this, this Facebook and Twitter world um where whereas beforehand you might go through a difficult patch with with a with a friend or or a loved one and you might disagree on something fundamentally for some time but but you would discuss it and work around it and 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 then maybe you wouldn't talk for two weeks but then you come back and discuss it again and (laughs) you end up carrying on the relationship whereas now it seems very easy that you just, just click a button and stop and stop it. As soon as someone says something that, that, that you, oh, well, no, hang on a minute, I don't agree with that. And, and it's it's very easy to just click that unfriend button. And I wonder if, if that is sort of spilling over into the real world from um, from that, the, the way we've sort of learned that culture. Well, I think you, you kind of answered that question yourself, right, when you were talking about it's not only easy to click off 
to just unlike somebody, to unfriend somebody. It's also easy to friend somebody. So when it's that easy to friend somebody, we're not necessarily having a, a boatloads of interactions with them. So it's kind of, in a way, it's easy come, easy go. Whereas, you know, we still have these closer relationships with yeah. with our family and, and close closer friends uh, where we still have the sort of, you know, you, you get mad at them, you stop talking with them for weeks, and then you come back and the process starts over. It's not necessarily a better process. It could just be the same cycle going, you know, repeating itself. And so I feel like people in general are not confrontational. We're not built for com uh, confrontation as much as avoidance, being social animals that we are. We try to get along as much as we can. And also when something does not affect us immediately, like we're not being gunned down by the police. So there is a certain tolerance level from that distance that people who are facing that very possibility will not have. So it's different. So it's a lot of different layers playing. In terms of cancel culture in general, I always think of it as an indication of how the formal judicial system is not working. Because if it was yeah. working, then people would not need to resort to this extrajudicial social way of, you know, ostracization of someone. Yeah. So that's something that needs more examination. At the same time, again, going back to what we kind of talked about before starting to record, is that we have limited capacity to pay attention to things, and therefore we don't necessarily investigate any particular case fully, especially when it comes to on our own, right? Because we don't have the resources. Even if we have the time, we don't have the, you know, monetary resources or, or, or investigative resources. So it's a blunt instrument. Uh, it's more, much more blunt than if the judicial systems that we trusted actually work properly because there's a lot more resources that are pulled together from public funds like taxes that allows us to devote a bit more attention to it. Of course, I'm talking about the more idealized version of it, and it's not true for most of the time, because everybody is sort of stretched for time. Mm. Yeah. No, you're right. I, yeah. I just, I, I guess I just, I worry sometimes that um, the easiest thing is to, is to avoid the conversation, because it's, it's so easy to, to turn the conversation off. And, of course, turning the conversation off doesn't mean it goes away. Yeah. It just means that you're no longer in the conversation. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think if people choose cancel culture first and foremost and not having exhausted other options, you know, if, if we are not talking with people first or trying to engage with people first to tr truly understand, you know, because people do make mistakes, and we should allow each other the room for mistakes, as long as those mistakes are not obviously so detrimental. And there should be a certain price exacted for those mistakes, but maybe not to the extent of ostracization, because I don't feel like people learn necessarily that way. And also when it comes to yeah. cancel culture that goes against free speech, on both sides, there's been the argument, I think, 
more one side than the other that's made to say if your belief is so shaky that you think listening to someone else speak their mind could shape that belief then i think it's more your belief that you need to be examining rather than uh, to shut the other person up so that's that's always something to think about when people are exercising their will to cancel or to uh, shut their ears off from somebody else's opinion. Whereas I think there is a legitimate argument for cancel culture when somebody is forcing you to listen to them, no matter how many times you've had the same ar the argument, they keep coming back with the same thing. At that point, there's no point in the conversation. So, you know, it... I, I think, yeah. I think that point at which you, 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 you simply have to concede that going any further with the conversation is not going to, to change anyone's mind. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. Just going back to the uh, texting, how essential is your mobile phone or your, your device for you? Would you have a problem if, if someone said, we're going to, to remove your mobile phone and your computer for the next month, you have, you have to live without them? Would you find that uh, a difficult thing or not? Under the current circumstances, I would say yes. <laughs> if, yeah. You know, if if we're talking about, you know, like the beginning of last year, 2020, when COVID was not in any of our minds, or maybe the, more the previous year, I, I think it would be more doable. I certainly did much more things outside. In fact, I, I do reflect on what I have done via my devices over this past year and wonder how the heck did I do all these other things that require physical travel to get to events. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, how do I do that? <laughs> um, I do wonder about yeah. it. So yeah, under current circumstances, it, it will be difficult, but I think we do adjust some of us better at it than others to whatever harsh conditions come about. Uh, people live through a lot worse than having their phones taken away, you know, and still yeah. uh, able to survive. Obviously very scarred, but still survive. So I think uh, it's not great, but, you know, whatever. Let's try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, I mean, the implication in wider terms of the... the uh... Yeah, at the end of your poem, is the divorce rate would shoot through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly believe that had COVID happened without these social media distractions or our wireless connections to the world, our internet, having internet, it would have because it would have forced us to deal with people on a you know face-to-face -face level a lot more. More, our relationships will be much more in your face. And I do believe social media, internet, these distractions has a social lubricant effect. But, you know, again, going back to your point of uh, this is just the latest iteration of distractions. You know, there were books, you know, I read articles about the 1918 pandemic and people were writing letters to each other and um, 
you know, there were books to read. I imagine people picked up a lot of books and creatives created a lot, written a lot uh, in different different pandemics. Like the 16th century, the Black Death, there were a lot of uh, creative works that were made during that time. I think people deal with them in whatever way they need to deal with them. I do, again, going back to the, I do think that, you know, the internet serve and the, our handheld devices, social media serve a social lubricant, serve as a social lubricant effect uh, in some ways. Because I do know people who honestly feel like they talk more to their screen than they to the people they are around. Right. Yeah. In a, in a way, it, it's almost like I don't, I can't see that there's a way back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels like that's where we are. Yeah. And, I, and again, it's that sort of thing, you know, like I was talk, talking about earlier, we, we sort of, sometimes you sort of think it's easy to sort of long to look back through rose-tinted glasses at what we felt was a simpler world, but I'm not, I'm not sure it was necessarily better. It was just different. And we've kind of arrived where we are. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I think there's definitely, you know, as I was saying earlier, about the, the the online page where, where people have been uh, f- felt able to, to share things that, that they probably wouldn't have shared mm-hmm. if we were talking about a real rather than a virtual world. There's mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely that that, uh, that sort of that positive side I think for a lot of people for that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It, it, it'll be interesting that having having all been sort of forced to live so much more through, through our devices in the, this last ten months. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how we how we readjust when we come out the other side. <laughs> yeah. And whether we're yeah. comfortable to, to put them down a bit more, or, or whether we'll still be sort of glued to them in the same way. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder because there were a lot of people who decided to go out and be on the trails and you know did a lot more nature hikes and things like that uh, as well. So I think again once. Once we are no longer in the emergency situation that we are, and we have a lot more choices in front of us, I wonder what, in which direction people would gravitate, you know, in terms of the masses, in terms of trends. Certainly, I do, yeah. I, I do feel like our ethics are very much behind, lagging behind our technology use, because we don't mm-hmm. quite not just from the manufacturing aspect of, you know, extracting rare earth minerals, uh, using slave labor to make these devices all along the supply chain, not just from that perspective, but also from the how we use these technologies are suddenly available to our fingertips that we don't necessarily understand their capabilities. And people will use tools from from the dawn of our existence, people will use tools to the benefit and the detriment as their personal characters allow them to. So I don't assign a positive or a negative to a particular device. I think it really depends on the person yeah. who's holding it. And obviously, my, the poem is very tongue-in-cheek. It's, I'm, it's just that, you know, I, I wanted to kind of tell the other side of the story, uh, tease out the other possibilities of it uh, from after reading your poem. Absolutely. 
Yes, no, that's right. This conversation could just last forever on these topics, and I really enjoy it. At the same time, we're run, running very, very long. So um, I just want okay. to conclude by asking you, one, if you have any favorite online virtual poetry events you might recommend, and secondly, how people can follow you on, funny enough, social media. Sure, yeah. I, I probably... You ought to say, come, come find the, the Isolation Arts Cafe, which is what, what I mentioned earlier, which, which is a, a really nice place where people have been sharing. I also, I, I run a, a little a Facebook page um, uh, called Poetry Underground. Mm-hmm. It, it's a page that, that I set up that, that is, appeals to perhaps um, outsider poets or, or people who, who may feel a, li- uh, a little bit um, nervous about about uh, posting to more mainstream sites, so so we get some quite interesting poets uh, up there, and it, it's a nice little community. So that's that's the poetry underground, which is, uh, which is on Facebook. I mean, I, I've been performing at, at some lovely events, but, but a lot of them have been sort of one-off in the virtual. We we, we mentioned Paris Lit Up, which was a, a really nice one. I was part of a thing called the Festival of, of Ideas mm. this this year, which was a really nice. Uh, it was actually it's run from a university, but but it, I, I liked it because it, it brought together quite a diverse range of speakers and, and artists that somehow complemented each other quite well and quite interestingly, but mm-hmm. but was quite outside the box. So you so you would get people perhaps speaking about contemporary uh, uh, architectural practice mm-hmm. alongside someone reading their poems or. Or whatever. So it, I like that. I thought that was quite an interesting, and perhaps one of those sort of concepts which were because they were they were sort of forced to look at things differently because of it being a virtual uh, thing. Um, so so they, they could sort of you know uh, think outside the box a little bit more. So that that that, that was really interesting. Apart from that, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm really looking forward to to, to getting back to to, to real. <laughs> buildings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, understandable. I, having expounded how much I've been I've loved engaging with it, with it with the virtual world, but what I really, really am looking forward to is is performing at a, a little bar somewhere in Germany and then <laughs> sitting down with real people at the bar afterwards and putting the world to rights over a good beer. That, mm-hmm. That's that's sort of the thing I'm most looking forward to. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. uh, I'm in all sorts of places. So, so my, my main website for the, for the poetry is www.grayjwall.com. So that's G-R-A-E-J-W-A-L-L.com. And that's where uh, you can buy the, the physical version of my last book, The Sound of Revolution. That's also available as an e-book. That was a whole thing. I, I've, I've got to be really honest with you. I, I've still never actually read an e-book. I, mm. I don't. I haven't entered into that at the virtual reading world, mm. um, but obviously that's a huge thing. So, so I found myself releasing the uh, the book there as well. So it's available on all those on all those platforms. Yeah, also, I, as I say, I put out these um, the uh, mixing up the music and the poetry in releases. That that's you can find that stuff on my Bandcamp page, which is www.grayjall.com bandcamp.com mm. but if you go to either of those websites you'll find the links to my to, to the other 
places where I am, the, the Twitters and the Instagrams and all those mm. things. So I, I, I won't bore you with too many URLs. <laughs> I think, okay. I think if people go to, go to those two, Great. Then yeah. they'll, they'll be able to find their way to my, to my other presence from there. <laughs> okay, wonderful. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate that. It's been really fun. It's been really fun. It's interesting, isn't it? As we've had this whole conversation, just just, just the pure fact that we're having this conversation while sitting half a world away from each other mm -hmm. um, is is something of a contemporary miracle. Which and there is something really nice and very sweet about it. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> thank you again for your time. Thanks ever so much. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.